It's the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores. Capital Mazda, Stevens Creek Mazda, Concord Mazda, and Team Mazda. Hey, it's Sean Del Grand. And we've got over 800 brand new Mazdas with outstanding incentives, like low monthly lease payments and low APR financing. Yep, it's just a great time to buy. So don't miss the Memorial Day sales event at the DGDG Mazda stores in San Jose, Concord, and Vallejo. Financing on approval of credit. We have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. There's not many teams at the beginning of the year that can say that. We have a chance to, and, and it's got to be on us to make that happen. You're listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. This is our opportunity. Our time is, is now. Our window is now. 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 Now Theodore. made the save, and it comes back. I thought I lost my testicle. <laughs> yeah, that's how it felt for San Jose Sharks fans on Friday night at SAP Center in San Jose after two games against the Las Vegas Golden Knights. We are level at one. Now, does that entirely meet my expectations after two games into this series? I got to say no. I was expecting the San Jose Sharks to be up to none after two games in San Jose. However, I was expecting this series to go back to Las Vegas and see it level at two after four games. Two from San Jose at home, two for Las Vegas at home. Right now, that has shifted. Las Vegas did what they need to do. They went into San Jose and split the series. Now San Jose needs to go back to Las Vegas and say to themselves, we've got to do what they did to us. We've got to get at least one. And the San Jose Sharks are certainly capable of getting at least one in Las Vegas. But right now, the San Jose Sharks have got to be trying to figure out what they can do to improve their team defense, what they can do to not have another disastrous start like they had in game number two on Friday night because that was a start that I don't think any of us saw coming. I talked to Jamie Baker about this after the game on Friday night. I said the emotion was so high. Is that a dangerous thing or do you just try to ride that emotion? And I think Jamie's answer was something to the effect of you have to let that emotion fuel you. And I don't think I saw from the the Sharks that same emotion fueling them at the start of game number two. Now, that said, I could be viewing that under the angle of the Sharks came out from the other side of the spectrum against Las Vegas on Friday night compared to what we saw on Wednesday night because it was Las Vegas this time that came out red hot. It was Las Vegas this time that was riding the emotion of fear. I don't know if the Sharks came out flat or I don't know if just in comparison to how hot Las Vegas came out, that was how the Sharks were perceived by my eyes. I'm not going to go out there and make that claim, but it did not look like the Sharks were as emotionally charged at the start of this game as they were in game number one. That said, the Sharks came roaring back to life, which I think here, to me, is the most encouraging thing out of this. And again, yes, I am going to talk about the relative controversy surrounding the goalie interference and the penalty to Logan Couture and the fact that the Sharks did not take a 4-3 lead at the start of the second period, which would have changed everything, but... Ultimately, to me, if you want to win in any sport, not just the Stanley Cup playoffs, but in something as punishing as the Stanley Cup playoffs, where your mistakes will be magnified even if you try to atone from them, you cannot spot another team a 3 nothing lead in the opening minutes, not even before you're halfway through 
the first period, especially on home ice. If you do that, you're not going to win. You cannot give up two shorthanded goals in addition to a power play goal. If you do either of those things in a game, your chances of winning are severely reduced. But the Sharks did not just one, but both of those, and were in the hunt in this game late. I mean, you're looking at a team that made all those mistakes and were still in the thick of things as this game got later and later. There was still a chance for the Sharks to tie at four and force overtime. Yes, they give up that fifth goal. They're down 5-3. There was no recovering from that. But overall, the Sharks made monumental mistakes in this game, and they were still in it. That is the encouraging aspect that I have to take away here because you have to find the positive within the negative. That's something that I constantly come back to. The San Jose Sharks have now got to be able to tell themselves, it does not matter. If we go down, we can come back. It doesn't matter if we're on home ice. It doesn't matter if we're on the road. If we are faced with a similar scenario, we did it before, we can do it again. And that's got to be the mindset. Now, you don't want to go down three. You can go down one. You can go down two. Three in the postseason seems darn near insurmountable. It was crazy that Columbus did it to Tampa Bay a couple nights ago. I'm still not sure how they did that, but look at that series. They've gone in there and taken the first two games. Don't be surprised if Tampa, looking for a reaction akin to what we saw from Washington a year ago, goes on the road and wins the first two games there, or the first two games in Columbus in that series. It's a series It's a best of seven. You don't win it in the first game, nor do you win it in the second game. You don't even win it in the third game. You don't win it until you've won four games in a series, and that's where the San Jose Sharks are right now. They are one and one through two games. It's not the worst place to be. It's not the best place to be, but it's not entirely out of the realm of expectations when you think about how evenly matched Las Vegas and San Jose are in this series. We have seen that on display in the first two games. And again, even with that relative evenness displayed between these two teams, it took the Sharks to make huge errors to truly eliminate this for them from this game. Go down three, while at the same time, part of the overall narrative is the fact that they gave up two shorties and a power play goal. And then you also look at how good Las Vegas was on their defense blocking 26 shots. The Sharks put themselves in a bad situation and they were still in a place to potentially win that game or even send it to overtime if you don't want to go so far as to say they were in the position to win it. I mean, that speaks very well for the Sharks. The fact is, though, they could not overcome all that. They were not able to walk away with a win. And is that going to cost them later? I don't know. But I do know we're two games in. There is a lot of hockey left to be played. Yes, you felt great after game one. You thought, oh man, this the Sharks look great. But that's that's sports. And the way we react to it now where we're all ticked off and we're you know complaining about a call that we think should have gone the other way, like I said after game one, when it's high, you ride that high. You fly with it. When it's low like it is after game number two, you get filthy in the mud and the blood and the beer. And then you try and come up with a game plan to where you can go in game number three. And now that might apply more to fans than it does to the literal athletes playing the game. But again, you ride with the high and you roll with the low. 
So that takes us to now looking at game number three, where we're wondering about Mark Edward Vlasic. We're wondering about what Pete DeBoer is going to do in terms of who's going to be between the pipes. I don't know. There's there's a lot of decisions left to be made, but I do want to address the controversy uh, regarding the goal that would have put the Sharks up 4-3. to three. Logan Gutierrez called for goalie interference, um, and it's a penalty. You look at the replays, Flurry's outside of the blue paint. Both skates are outside of it. I thought he came out to meet Logan Couture. You know, this one couldn't go back and be reviewed. It was, it was, you know, again, this is the problem with replays. It's not perfect. And video tries to make up for human error, but the application of it sometimes, video review that is, does not always give you the answer you're looking for, nor does the application of the rule always give you the interpretation that you're looking for. It's very subjective, and I think that's what we saw tonight. We saw how the rule could potentially be interpreted in this specific scenario. I think there could be other similar scenarios of very, very, you know, almost exact same instances happening to where it's going to be ruled on another way. And until there is less of a gray area going on here, um, you know, you just have to deal with how it's being called on that given night. Again, I don't like it. I wish it had gone in favor of the Sharks. But you can't put yourself in a situation in sports, especially as high of a level as the Stanley Cup playoffs, where you go and blame it on the refs. You did that to yourself. You go down 3 nothing, and you, you get back into that game. You still put yourself in a tremendous hole. You still put yourself in a position where things potentially were not going to go your way. It would have been nice if the call had gone the Sharks' way. It would have been a tremendous momentum shift. It would have put the Sharks up 4-3. to three. It was a two-goal swing that went instead of being in favor of the Sharks, they find themselves down 4-3. It changed the entire complexion of the game. I don't deny any of that. But I also don't deny the fact that the Sharks went down 3 nothing early. That to me, is way bigger than one call in a game. And yes, it negated the effort that the Sharks had put forth to come down 3-0 to tie it at 3 before the end of the first period and potentially take that one goal lead at the start of the second period. All part of the discussion, all valid reactions to have, all valid emotions to feel, and totally valid to be upset that the call didn't go the Sharks' way. But before the Sharks even had an opportunity for the call to go for and or against them, they put themselves in a bad situation. It started out with some bad team defense, and we saw later on in the game they put themselves in situations where it just wasn't crisp, it wasn't as good as it needed to be, and it was issues we saw with this team throughout the course of the year and that reared their head tonight in a way that it did not rear its head in game number one on Wednesday night. But here again is the great takeaway to me is that you look at the fact that all of this had to go in favor of Las Vegas, and this was still a very close game late that could have been forced into overtime by the Sharks. Now, yeah, I know you forced it into overtime and you don't get a point on the board like you do in the regular season, but it took all that to keep the Sharks from having a chance to win this game. A lot went against them. They put themselves in that early hole. They did not play their best hockey, and they still had a chance as this game got later and later. That, to me, overall is a positive, and it probably is going to give them mental strength later in this series. I know that sounds almost a little cheesy, but I believe it's true. When you can look back at a game like this and say, we performed poorly 
in scenarios A, B, C, where this portion of the game we didn't do well, where tactically we faltered here, where positionally we were erroneous here, they can say to themselves, despite all that, we were still in it. We were still in it and we had an opportunity to tie it or maybe potentially win it in overtime. Now that didn't happen. They went down 5-3. Suddenly you're not looking at a one-goal deficit to force overtime and the tide that had been building against them throughout the course of the entire game finally washed them away, and they lost. And now they regroup, rest up, and get ready for game number three. All right, let's take a look how it happened in game number two, however, before we forget. It was a worst-case scenario start for the San Jose Sharks. Kane gave up the puck to Eakin. Pacioretty is shot. Jones the save. Pacioretty still working down low. But then here comes San Jose. I just got a feeling like the Sharks, if they get the next goal, this game is far from over. Eric Carlson across. Then Team Teal would pull within one. Puck comes up high to Eric Carlson. Couture. Shoots! Oh, what a power play right here. Couture makes this goal happen. He comes in and helps bank, takes it out. Carlson pulls it to the inside. A little give and go. Couture back sauce pass. Beautiful pass. And look at through that seam. And maybe Tomas Hurdle got a little sneak of that to get it by Marc-Andre Fleury. Then the equalizer from Jumbo. But from there on out, it was heartbreak for the Sharks. Now Theodore, Dell made the save, and it comes back, and they score. Mark Stone makes it 4-3. Burns, Thornton, shot. That was wide, and it rims back around, but not to Burns. And now a break. Smith to William Carlson. Scores. The second shorthanded goal of the game for Vegas, it's 5-3. This series is something, folks. The animosity is off the charts. The final score here in San Jose, Vegas 5, Sharks 3. The series all tied up.
And that was all she wrote in San Jose. Final score, Las Vegas 5, San Jose 3. The series level at one game apiece, headed to Las Vegas for Game 3 Sunday night. All right, we now have joining us on Morning Tide, the one and only Brody Brazil. Of course, you know him from his work on NBC Sports California, pre and post game host for the San Jose Sharks and the Oakland Athletics. Is Brody, is there anything more that I need to hype correctly about that? I, some guys in particular, <laughs> some guys are not. As, as we all know, uh, you're, you're not the huge ego guy in broadcasting, though we all have our healthy egos, man. I don't want to give you less than you're due. I'm definitely not an influencer. I'm also <laughs> not an Instagram model. I'm trying to think of other things I'm not. Uh, but no, I, I appreciate it. Hey, you know what? Being, uh, being present on the social is part of 2019. So I'm happy to be there, happy to interact with fans um i gotta say after this game though <laughs> interacting was more like therapy with each other because uh there's a lot of emotions from the drama of this this game to the controversy of this game to ultimate frustration yeah man that's exactly where i was going it was the emotion that i was feeling particularly in the first 20 minutes you start off that game going down three to nothing and at the start of the game i'm thinking all right they got to pick up where they left off the other night. Emotions were so high in game one, and the Sharks rode that tide to a big victory. I thought that the way they came out tonight, the team looked a little bit flat. Either that or the response from Las Vegas was a correction. So maybe it was more Las Vegas than the Sharks looking flat in particular. But Vegas came out the aggressors. Suddenly you're down three goals to none. Where were you at that point? I think you look at how the goals were scored. It wasn't just the the frequency, three and five minutes in nine seconds. It was, you know, the first one was an unmarked Cody Eakin in the slot. And we've seen that kind of be a fault of the Sharks defensively in this regular season. The next one was a turnover and Colin Miller came right out of the penalty box, took the puck, uh, center ice, went the other way with it. All of a sudden it's a two on one, an odd man, um, uh, shorthanded nonetheless. So that had been kind of a, an issue with the sharks all season, the, the odd man rush chances allowed. And then <clears throat> the patchy ready goal, the third one of those three, uh, was just an unobstructed wrister, you know, a guy coming up the right wing, a left-handed shot. And that's one that Jones would definitely want back. And that's why that was the last shot he faced. And so Long story short, I, th I think the real concern was these are a lot of the things we saw from the Sharks in the course of a regular season when they weren't playing great, and it all happened within you know, a little over five minutes' time. So it, it got you going from how great they looked in game one, and I do mean great. I mean, yes. they, they were dominant through a full 60 in game one to the start of this one. Now, obviously, I know we'll get to how things changed, but just the start of this one uh, had you kind of going back to a, a reversionary feeling. You know, you really did. No, I agree 100%. And you, you also brought out the idea of just how good Vegas has looked at times and they can jump on teams. And this is a Vegas team that, you know, it took a while for them to get rolling this year. There were some injuries. Obviously, they had some midseason acquisitions, which definitely improved them. But when you saw them jump out 3 nothing like that, it reminded you of last year. And it reminded me of that, oh, yeah, what do you do when Vegas jumps on you like this? Do you have a response and it turns out, Brody, the Sharks did have a response. And I think that was what was so 
encouraging to me out of tonight. We'll get into the controversy about where skates are in regards to the blue in front of the net. <laughs> but I have to admit, the silver lining, and I don't, I don't like that expression. I like to say, what's the positive within the negative? The positive here is the Sharks went down 3 nothing in the first period and came roaring back into this game. And if you ask me, in that first period, Las Vegas was hemorrhaging. They were saved by the end of the period. That was trending towards the Sharks being up by a goal if you have another minute or two on the clock before it came to an end. Yeah, it's actually a good point. I hadn't thought about that. If it were a 25-minute period, <laughs> they might have got a fourth one the way things were rolling. But I, I think you're absolutely right. My my sentiments as I was headed upstairs to go do the intermission report was that, you know, the one, you're right, the one good thing out of all that bad is that it happened early and there was still tons of time to recover. And we have seen the Sharks come back from deficits like this before, but it usually takes 40 minutes to do so. In this case, the only way to come back after allowing three and five minutes was to get in your own two minutes. It was unbelievable just kind of how one led to the next, led to the next. And oftentimes in the NHL, I mean, I don't, I don't like to think that a team uh, mentally collapses like it would seem like Las Vegas did in those final minutes, but I really feel like one goal led to their, uh, the Sharks next and led to the third one. I, I really feel like they were, they were connected. They were obviously three separate plays in different fashions, but uh, Carlson was in on two of them, and then Joe Thornton got the last it, it, it had all the feelings of, I can't believe what I just witnessed in a very positive way. And the best part about it was first intermission, you could almost just erase the first 20 minutes because I think it was one of those realizations that this is playoff hockey. You're going to take some bruises. You're going to take some hits. That was one that they recovered from at that time. And the pendulum swings so much in sports. All of a sudden, Vegas sees their 3 nothing advantage disappear. You're essentially back level. You're at zeros, uh, you know, from a broad view. I, I can't imagine what Gerard Gallant is telling his team at that point. And then you come out in the first period, and it looks like you go down Four, three, and of course, Brody, this is the big-time controversy. Now, my response to this, because I am not a big fan of saying, let's blame the refs, let's blame the refs. Yes, I'm not in complete agreement with the call. Yes, the muddiness of the rules there would make the NFL uh, happy, I guess, for lack of a better <laughs> term. But if you don't want to deal with the controversy, you do don't go down 3 nothing in the first few minutes. That said, that was a very frustrating moment. What was your interpretation of how the officials interpreted the rule? Do you think it was the right and or wrong call, or do you think the inherent muddiness leads to too much subjectivity, almost too much of an onus being put on the officials there, and then also the fact that there's a penalty called there um, erases the opportunity for a challenge? Yeah, I mean, the, the swing was tremendous, right? It's a two-goal swing we're talking about here. The one that the Sharks didn't get, the one that Las Vegas did get on the subsequent power play. But to me, the, the most interesting takeaway of all of this is that even players don't really have a clear interpretation of the rule, which is Rule 78, which I have right in front of me, mm -hmm. saying that if an attacking player initiates any contact with a goalkeeper other than incidental contact, contact will well, the goalkeeper is outside his crease and a goal is scored, it'll be disallowed. So let's let's just break it down here kind of word by word. So the attacking player was Logan Couture. Um, he did have some contact with Marc-Andre Fleury, but did he initiate it? I feel like that's a question mark because as much as Couture from the, the goal cam that or the um, the uh, 
overhead camera was going right to left. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Flurry Flurry is the goalie who skated out of his crease towards number thirty nine Logan Couture. So, um, did he initiate it? I don't think so. Was it anything outside of incident incidental contact? I don't think so. It wasn't like Couture drug a pad with him or. Um, you know, there was some contact to the, to the mask of flurry, but it, it was incidental. Con- um, so there, to me, there are two ways out of interpreting this that should have favored the sharks. And you're right about the worst part is that because it was ruled a, a penalty on the ice initially interference, it could not be reviewed. I don't see how a league will have evidence, video evidence to right or wrong something and say, well, you know what? We have the evidence, but we're going to withhold that from you know, Toronto, we're not even going to give them a chance to look at it because of the initial call on the ice in the moment. So, uh, look, I, th- I think the Sharks are, are probably going to get an apology, a clarification, or whatever from the NHL. In some ways, um, it's frustrating. It was a turning point of the, of the evening, a thousand percent. But on the other hand, if you're looking for other reasons the Sharks lost, you know, uh, spotting the opponent a 3 nothing lead is not good. And also, <laughs> you lose by two, and two of them that you gave up were shorthanded so there are other things to look at but don't get me wrong as as things played out in real time that was a huge turning point oh most most definitely and again we've got Brody Brazil here on morning tide and we're talking about the Sharks loss to Las Vegas uh, 5-3 on Friday night from SAP Center so let's get into some of those uh, other things you just mentioned there's the fact that they give up two shorties and a power play goal let's start with that in terms of these being correctable mistakes what's your view on it and in terms of it just being a a one-off in terms of the Sharks were the superior team in game one and they got the bounces and in game two Las Vegas was the superior team they got the bounces I mean it's what we're getting down to Brody is the fact that this is why I saw this series and said okay seven games let's go get ready for this <laughs> now I was more predicting the Sharks to take two on home ice than Las Vegas to take two on home ice and then have it be a best of three series but I'm not surprised that we've played two games and we're level at one. Yeah, and I, I think just looking at the special team's impact tonight, uh, Las Vegas found themselves in the penalty box way more than, than they're accustomed to. And it's not to say that officiating is, is tighter on them. I'm, I'm just saying that they put the Sharks in some opportune positions in this one um, by, by them going to the box. But as for their special teams relating to the two shorties, I mean, you know, one was, one was kind of a, I'm not going to say a freak play, but Colin Miller coming out of the box, literally circling to retrieve the Carlson touch pass that he was trying to uh, make a centering pass and go the other way with it. I mean, I, I haven't seen that play all season against San Jose. Um, the Mark Stone goal, let's just comment on Mark Stone. Three goals in the, the, the two games, his first playoffs with these Vegas Golden Knights. Um, I mean, I think he's been... He's been. He got their only two goals uh, in game one of this series. Uh, is it is it a need for a correction? Is it uh, deficiencies? I mean, I I think a lot of this stuff tonight you chalk up to it was that type of night. Um, so many unexpected elements of this game occurred. I would say that as it relates to that stuff, yes. But going back to the first three goals and the fashion they were scored, I think that's the concern for San Jose. I mean, they're going to go as far as their defense can take them this season. And the storyline of the first seven minutes of this game was all about uh, the defense and, and how it, it, it just couldn't stand up, couldn't hold up. The thing that I wonder about, though, is that 
How much of this do we look at Jones? How much of this do we look at Dell now? Because he did give up two goals, but it was a relatively positive performance. And then what's the decision for Pete DeBoer moving forward towards game three? Um, I didn't hear anything close to a committal answer um, from anyone regarding that decision. But where do you think DeBoer goes here? It's a great dilemma. Uh, well, not great to have. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, great in its magnitude. Yes. Um, and I, I also think, too, it's interesting because, you know, you look at Martin Jones, largely the, the goal uh, past 30 wins this season and, and got you to this point. And so I think that's an easy that's an easy way to go right back to him for game three and to write off some of the wrongs that happened here in game two. Um, but it was I agree. It was refreshing to see Aaron Dell. And yeah, you're right. He didn't get tested tremendously. He did make some key saves, but also allowed to. So I don't think it, I don't think it's an easy decision either way for Pete DeBoer and company. No, I mean, because it's not Dell came in there and, and stoned him down. You know, it didn't happen. It's interesting, though, with Jones, though, because sometimes he can look so very, very good and so very, very in command. And do you have a, a greater a 30,000 foot view on some of his struggles this year? Because at times I've been wanting to say, OK, that's the defense. He kind of hung out to dry there. And other times I've just looked at it and said, you know, he probably needs to stop that. Is it is it too easy to say it's a mix of the two or is it just kind of wondering to see if he does, you know, catch that hot hand and suddenly starts leading the way as the Sharks hopefully go deeper into the postseason? You know, I love talking Sharks. You know that uh, if today were my last day on earth, I'd like to 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 go out with a Sharks jersey and an Oakland A's jersey. <laughs> <laughs> it, one in each hand, right? Like I, I love this. But the conversation about the Sharks this season that has exhausted me more than any other is, is it goaltending or is it team defense? And unfortunately, tonight, it opens up that door all over again yeah. because of of the miscues. And I, and I think that's what I'm saying when it's, when it's a theme that got revisited tonight in a battle. Um, you know, you, you look at Cody Eakin, 58 seconds in, there's four sharks surrounding him, but nobody marking him. Mm -hmm. And he's able to convert on that low to high pass. Um, you know, with the Colin Miller goal, if you're Jones and all of a sudden there's a turnover, here comes Miller, basically one on none or two on one, depending on how you want to see the ice bottom line is it's an odd number chance uh, against you and then patch already look i i think martin jones is looking at himself on that one there was um that was an unobstructed shot no screening no deflection no uh, patch already just fired it off with his left side left side shot so for me and i think a lot of people if, if you're listening to this and you've heard the stuff i've been saying and, and tweeting and putting out all season you know i have i have largely said that it's a it's a combination of the two it really is um but i i think some people will automatically point at the goaltending, and that's what I want to address here. It is it is more than the goaltending, which sets a tone for the Sharks. It's team defense, and I don't even mean the blue line or defensemen. I'm talking about forwards. I'm talking about everybody in front of the goalie for San Jose, and um, it takes that collective effort to shut down opponents, and when they do, and I don't even mean shut them out. I'm saying when the Sharks have allowed two or fewer goals this season, they're a perfect 33 you know, so you yeah. can see how they win game uh, in, a, in a surefire way. It's just good team defense. But they obviously got away from that here tonight. Um, the prior three games, the last two of the regular season and into the playoffs, all two or few allowed to Edmonton, to uh, Colorado, and then in game one against Las Vegas. So um, it's just this is their biggest dilemma of the season is is not only the amount of goals let up, but how the goals are scored. And I think for all the stats people out there who want to point at high danger chances and this and that and goals against and save percentages, yeah, it's all relevant. 
But if you just watch how the goals are scored, I think sometimes it paints a picture of, yeah, sometimes it's the goalie, but sometimes very noteworthy, it's it's the team defense, which lacked in front. We've got Brody Brazil here on Morning Tide, and of course we're reacting to the Sharks' 5-3 loss to Las Vegas Friday, Friday night at SAP Center before this series shifts to Las Vegas. Now, while we're talking about that team defense, a big question mark is Mark Edward Vlasic. He got that upper body hit. Um, in the first minute of the second period and left the game, didn't come back. I know that, you know, you and Curtis were trying to, you know, just figure out what may have happened. You didn't sound like you had a much of a better idea than I no, did. Yeah. I, I couldn't figure it out. I was thinking maybe there was a – I mean, the, the, the image, as good as our camera technology is today, those pucks move so fast that you just really can't tell sometimes. I'm thinking is there a – is there an open gap where it might have gotten a rib? Was it a contusion? Was it right. was it enough to where it, you know it, it rattled him? I, I just I couldn't figure it out in the slightest, and now we're all just kind of left wondering what his status is for game number three. And of course, Vlasic, the the most true you know defensive of the big three on the Sharks, such a huge factor. I mean, the one and I hate to bring up a painful memory, 2014, the series against the Kings, it shifted not with Rafi Torres. To me, it shifted with Vlasic when he went out. By the way, Rafi Torres has been suspended for something in tonight's Sharks game. Right. I'm not sure what. <laughs> the NHL just came out with a suspension for Rafi. Um, so I, I, you know, and I think we were fortunate to have any kind of replay. And I think it was a, a Shea Theodore shot that hit Vlasic up high. When I say fortunate enough, because a lot of times a player will have their last shift, will notice it six, seven minutes later. Mm-hmm. Where are they? Oh, wait, they're not even out there on the bench. And then we try and figure out, you know, we go back and, and look at the tape. This one, we had the footage of it. Um, we're still not sure if that's it or if there's something else. It very well could be something else, too. It's high speculation. To It was the puck that hit him up high, but it did. And it definitely hit him in a spot between the uh, where the, the shoulder pads would not cover. It looked like, to, yeah, you're right, under an arm, which would be a rib. Um, the severity of it, I don't know. Uh, Curtis made a tremendous point on our postgame show. You know, if you would look at the the Pavelski puck to the mouth right. and the Vlasic puck to the ribs, you would think that Pavelski would be out the rest of the game and Vlasic would be able to come back no problem. But that's just the nature of some of these injuries. What looks innocent sometimes is the worst, and what sometimes looks the worst is actually more innocent than you would believe, well, at least from a hockey player's perspective. <laughs> Speaking of things that looked innocent and or not innocent, did you catch Logan Couture's quote afterwards when he was talked about the groin shot that he took? He said, I thought I lost my testicle. And I, there's something about that's That's just one of the all-time quotes because – even in context, because it's absurd out of context, but the in-context uh, con- uh, concept of that, it, it's just amazing. Because, again, Logan Couture, nothing keeps him off the ice. It doesn't matter. He's just going to be back out there. Yeah, he's a favorite of mine. I know that's widely documented. <laughs> I would like to commend Logan on using the proper phraseology right? when, when discussing this because he could have <laughs> gone a much – a uh, less family-friendly route when describing the ailment and, and his reaction. But, no, I mean, I, I thought that shot that, that Cody Eakin took that, yeah, hit him in the undercarriage, that's the word I'll use, it just <laughs> – it, it, it's brutal. But that's the type of player Logan is. He's known for his defensive prowess, and that includes, you know, laying out and blocking shots at times. It's just that uh, got him where he didn't expect and wouldn't have planned to. No, and uh, the the reaction they showed from him in slow mo it was uh, oh yeah I know. it was it was chilling man but that's what that's what Logan does he gets back out there and he keeps on grinding um, you know as we look ahead to game number three 
What do you think is the ultimate message that Pete DeBoer is telling his guys as they go now into enemy territory, into one of the most hostile uh, environments in all of the NHL? And I think that you know one of the places like SAP Center is a true home ice advantage. I think that that's you know a concept we look at more in the NFL and the NHL. I think it can be a little bit diminished, but not when you talk about the venues that are involved in this specific playoff series. You know, and I predicted this uh, even before the puck dropped of game one that just the, the the scheduling of it is that game three, Las Vegas would try and up the ante a little mm-hmm. bit. They would do something and Ryan Reeves is going to go extra hard. And, um, you know, it, it because of their home ice, they could be up to nothing. They could be down to nothing or just like we are with the series split. Um, I, I don't know that there is room for the physicality be, to be turned up a notch. I, I, I honestly don't know if we could possibly see a more physical effort when they talk about, you know, uh, checks being finished uh, and obviously hits being made and just being hard on your opponent. I don't know how much more of that you can possibly see. I already think that's dialed up as close to high as it gets for both sides. But the nastiness, um, and I think we've kind of seen that at a at an eight and a nine at some point, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's going to peak at a ten in this series in Game Three. Like yeah. that's 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 almost an automatic for me. Um, and I don't even know if it's going to be in the first couple minutes of the game, but I think as soon as one team is able to gain some type of edge, you're going to see it pop out. Um, so again, uh, you know uh, that was my prediction from the start. I think it still is going to hold true um, for the Sharks. What are they looking at? It's hard to even know because they've they've got all the right examples on one set of it, and they've got a lot of wrong examples on another uh, bunch of clips. You know, so if I'm if I'm them, I think I'm I'm probably looking at both. To be honest with you, here's here's the right things, here's the wrong things. Uh, um, it's just unfortunate for the sharks that these wrong things are not new things. Um, these are things they've been trying to get out of their game for a while. Well, Brody, I know it's been a long day for you, so I will let you go, my friend. But hey. Two games in, this series is as entertaining, if not more so, than we all expected, and I think we're all looking forward to the fireworks to continue a Game 3 Sunday from Las Vegas. Brody, thank you so much, man. Appreciate all the work you do, and we will talk soon. All right, my friend? Ted, I appreciate it. Just make sure to have me on again under different circumstances. I don't want to be known as the downer here, okay? <laughs> well, for the record, we, we planned this before we knew That's the outcome. True. <laughs> That's true. No, it would be, be my pleasure to come back you're doing a great job and uh yeah you know what the the audience needs they need sharks coverage like you're doing during the playoffs on a regular basis so keep it up well done and thank you likewise my friend thank you so much again that is brody brazil doing absolutely fantastic work as the pre and post game host for the san jose sharks and the oakland athletics on nbc sports california now let's get into what the guys were saying after the loss here's head coach pete DeBoer. Pete, any update on Mark Edward Vlasic and what was the thought process in making the goalie change when you did? Uh, no update on, on uh, Vlasic. Um, you know, we we were down 3 nothing 10 minutes in, so, um, you know, uh, I didn't put it on Jonesy. We needed a, a shot in the arm, you know, to kind of uh, change our momentum. I think we've done that in the past here. Deller's jumped in and given us some energy and kind of shocked our group a little bit, so... Um, that's what we did. And then DeBoer gave his thoughts on the costly goalie interference call that cost the Sharks a goal and the lead. Well, I mean, wow. I mean, we, we battled back to make it a 3-3 game. The problem I've got with that is 
um, one, he's entitled to that ice and, because Fleury's outside the crease uh, and he's just going to that area outside the crease. There's no intent at all to, to run into Fleury. Um, the travesty of the call is, you know, if they had called it goalie interference, we could have challenged it. I think the league would have recognized Fleury was outside the crease, probably awarded us a goal, and we're up 4-3 at that time, and the game, it's a different game. But instead, it's a two-goal swing because he, he calls a penalty, even though there's zero intent to hit Fleury, and Fleury's outside of the area that he should be, uh, and they score on the power play. So, I mean, that, that one call is a two-goal swing in the game. It's, uh, you know, devastating for a group. So, it's a shame. And here's Couture's take on the controversial call. Tough call. Start second. Haven't seen the replay yet, but being involved in it, I thought I was outside of the crease. I think uh, I thought Flurry kind of ran into me, um, but I'll have to watch the replay on that. So uh, tough one to lose. Does McNabb kind of glide to touch? Yeah, he, he touched me. Did you get any explanation from the refs like afterwards? Yeah, he said I ran into him, I hit him, and no one touched me. I went one in myself. So, like I said, I have not seen the replay. I'll go back and do that right now. But I mean, was I pushed? Was I in, in the crease? You guys will have to tell me I didn't see it. So. And Evander Kane weighed in on the controversial call as well. Uh, yeah, you know, it, uh, I know they do a lot of complaining about uh, flurry and the traffic in front, but uh, when you're exciting the blue the blue paint uh, three extra feet, it makes it awful tough as an opposition to, to try to stay away from him and with a battle and a demon in front of the net. So uh, it's a pretty good reaction by him, and uh, he tricked us, tricked them. Carefully chosen words from the Sharks all the way around, but it does nothing to change the play or the outcome. The Sharks lose to Las Vegas 5-3, and now we wait for Game 3 Sunday night from Sin City. Which means I'll talk to you guys Monday morning to recap Game 3 in this opening round battle of Titans. For the San Jose Sharks, I'm Ted Ramey. See you all Monday morning. Thank you for listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. Music composed by Yogi Yend. New episodes appear each morning after Sharks playoff games on the Sharks Sharks digital digital platforms. platforms.